something to read. I started to read authors like Ayn Rand. Have you heard of her? Have you read The Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged? If you haven't, why not? These are classic books that talk about the real struggle that's being waged in America. Have you read Cleon Skousen's The Naked Communist? Or have you read his textbook written for school children that Senator Hatch recommended that even those in Washington read called The Making of America? Have you studied the lives of the Founding Fathers? You see, this is not the first time people have been worried about too much government. In the world history, there's constantly been a battle to keep government and those in power in check. Tyranny has always been the enemy of the average person. But the founding fathers of this country found a formula to throw off the yoke of bondage, to literally eradicate tyranny. The, most tyr the, the largest tyrant to the colonists in America hundreds of years ago was the king of England, the most powerful man, arguably, on the planet. And yet, those here in the New World, the founding fathers of America, found and discovered ancient principles. Thomas Jefferson and James Madison called them the principles of an ancient order. They were economic in nature, and they enshrined these principles in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution of the United States. Now look what happened. From 1776 to today, look at the difference in the world. No, it's not utopia. Yes, there are still plenty of problems. But look at the living standards and how much different the world is today, how much progress has come. Cleon Skousen, Dr. Skousen, wrote a book called The 5,000-Year Leap. In it, he argues that in the last 200 years, we have made more progress with technology, in the medical field, in public policy, in social relations, than in the 5,000 years preceding the generation of the Founding Fathers. These things are not accidents. So if you're feeling like the government's too big, if you're feeling like those narratives of the corporate scandals and the individual struggling working man are the stories of your life, I invite you to open your mind an hour a day. We're going to talk about principles of true capitalism. And I'll just warn you, I've been all over this country. I've spoken in front of thousands of people. Monthly, I travel from state to state. And I speak in front of those who are educated in the ivory towers, and I speak to those who can barely get enough time off work to come hear our seminars. And I'll tell you that I've yet to find any significant number among those who come who really understand American history. Matter of fact, I've met few who can name five of the founding fathers by first and last name. It's a surprise to me that most people call capitalism evil, but what they describe as capitalism is actually socialism. This is not an accident. By and large, we live our lives paycheck to paycheck, day to day. We feel disconnected sometimes from the political process. We feel powerless at times. This is not an accident, but it's our responsibility to change it. We can change it. We can go back and study the principles that the Founding Fathers taught us, and we can see those principles at work today in President Bush's administration, for example. We can measure his actions by true principles, not by political dogmas. A friend of mine who's an economist here in Utah, he said to me, Rick, the secret, in my opinion, to becoming prosperous is in being willing to question your assumptions. I told him I agree. We've been trained, taught, and educated to be victims. 
We've been trained, taught, and educated to take financial advice from those whose self-interest is a contradiction to our own. My friend says it this way, there are no sacred cows. You've got to be willing to question your assumptions. And it doesn't matter whether you wear an elephant on your lapel pin or whether you wear a donkey on your lapel. It doesn't matter what your political ideology may or may not be. The truth and true principles leads the individual who seeks it to prosperity. Now, I just want to give you some statistics. There's a lot of negativity, and we talk about crisis day in and day out. You can't turn on talk radio or any of the major media without hearing about all the problems in the world around us. But let's just talk about this. Let's just talk about the progress that's been made in the United States in the last 50 years. Did you know that 50 years ago, 15% of the average residents had flushing toilets? Today, 99% of us do. 24% had running water. Today, 92% of us do. 50 years ago, barely 5% of all of the people had central heating. Today, over 75% do. We could go on and on. A hundred years ago, only 3% of the population had electricity in their homes. Now, 99% of us do. We could go on and on. Again, there has been major progress. And this progress is going to continue, by the way. Now, I'm not blind. We've got problems to tackle. But tackling them with a group of riled up and passionate, ignorant people is just as dangerous as not doing anything. We've got to have people who are educated. We've got to have people who are awake and whose brains are on. Now, how do you know if your brain's on? Let me ask you a few questions. Those people you listen to, whether they're political or social leaders, the stories they tell, do they actually offer solutions or do they just point out the problems? Can you find the true principles in their message? Could you write them down? Let's just take your favorite political commentator. Write down three principles that they believe in, that they advocate, and what the result of following those principles in your life would be. You see, when I started asking myself questions like this, I realized that I needed to wake up. And I started to read. I listed a couple books today. I'm going to list a third one. Matter of fact, I'm willing to give this book away free to any listener. This book is a book by Milton Friedman. It's called Capitalism and Freedom. It's been published for over 40 years. It's one of the most popular books on the subject of capitalism ever written. Yet I meet very few people who have ever read it. I meet very few people outside of academia who even know who Milton Friedman is. So here's my promise to you. If you'd be willing to call 801-375-4474, tell them that you listened to me on the radio today, I will make sure, ship to you at no cost, no charge to you, a copy of Milton Friedman's Capitalism and Freedom. Read the book. Every Friday, we'll talk about a book. This Friday, we're going to invite callers to call in and ask questions or make comments based on Milton Friedman's work, Capitalism and Freedom. This is how we begin. We start to grow together. Now, if you've read the book, if you're already a capitalist, if you're already convinced, I invite you to reread Friedman. I invite you to write down some questions. Call in. Let's talk about the implications. But if you want to be a free people, you've got to understand the principles that lead to freedom. Now, let's talk about uh, some contemporary events. Let's talk about President Bush and his struggle for Supreme Court nominations. 
You know, it's like a political fiasco these days. I was just reading a press release uh, put out by MSNBC. And these reporters are having a field day talking about who should or shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. Now, whether the American people actually care about this field fiasco or not is being debated. But I'll tell you, there are a few strange ironies in the situation. Now, I know those on the right were really upset about... Bush's nomination of Harriet Myers. And now we've got another uh, person coming to the Supreme Court, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right, we're back here with Free Capitalist Radio. This is Rick Kerber, the Free Capitalist. We're talking about the principles of capitalism that lead to freedom. Now, before the break, we were talking about this Supreme Court uh, fiasco going on. A couple of things I thought would be important to point out. First of all, do you hear anyone in the media talking about the constitutional method for appointing someone to the Supreme Court? For example, is the controversy in the debate among the senators consistent with the way the Founding Fathers thought we should appoint justices to the Supreme Court? Now, regardless of how you felt about Harriet Myers, let's talk about her for a minute. Do you find it interesting that even before she went to the Senate, the debate was had on both sides, and it seemed uh, a foregone conclusion prior to her ever going to the Senate that there was so much trouble that President Bush was being suggested that he withdraw her nomination. Now, I don't have any particular insight into how her withdrawal happened. I know what the story in the media is. I've read uh, her letter of uh, withdrawal where she suggested that because of her work with the White House uh, that she uh, felt like it was best to withdraw herself from the nomination but didn't make a lot of sense to me. You see, if you believe in a rep, uh, representative government, um, the Constitution says that when the president nominates someone for the Supreme Court, that he should be subject to the advice and consent of the Senate. The Senate has confirmation hearings. Now, Harriet Myers didn't even get a confirmation hearing. I'm not sure how you feel, but to me, most Americans should be rather curious. Why do both sides of the political establishment think that it's important that before we ever hear the political or uh, constitutional views of a nominee, that they can have the entire debate before we can hear word one? I just couldn't believe it. All the political pundits uh, opining on what kind of judge she, she would or wouldn't be, um, she never even made it to the hearings. Now, there's another element of that that seems rather funny to me. If you remember, President Bush came out in her defense because the radical right, and I've been accused of being on the radical right, so don't be offended if you feel like you're in that category, but the radical right and even the strong right, the social conservatives, were very concerned about Harriet Meyer's nomination. Literally from day one, they were blogging and emailing and conference calling, trying to figure out what had happened. Why hadn't President Bush appointed someone that we knew, they say, would overturn, for example, Roe v. Wade? Now, President Bush and Vice President Cheney gave America their assurances. Matter of fact, I remember uh, Cheney just a day or two after the nomination uh, told Rush Limbaugh, look, the American people just need to give her a chance. You'll find that she's immensely qualified. Well, we didn't give her a chance. Uh, George Will, one of my favorite political columnists, he uh, read uh, the President the Riot Act. We had um, Judge Bork read the President the Riot Act, called his nomination of Harriet Myers a betrayal. But look at that. That's a conclusion. That's a conclusionary statement. 
the average American person has no idea what they're talking about. We just get all fired up and say, yeah, we feel betrayed, but why? What was so betraying about nominating a person who has a, a career in the law and an above average understanding of the legal community? The arguments that I heard on the radio were, well, she doesn't write very well. She doesn't write very well. Have you read any of the Supreme Court decisions lately? Have you read a majority or minority opinion, the dissent? How about the um, real estate uh, decision that the Supreme Court made not long ago for the taking of private real estate for eminent domain for private development? Did you read that decision? Was that written well? Uh, I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems like uh, the hearings in the Senate would have been the best indication of whether or not this person should have been confirmed or not confirmed. Well, be that as it may, we've now got Judge Alito. Now, it's funny. On MSNBC.com, I was reading an article from, uh, it was actually an AP article, and it says that Judge Alito is one of the most accomplished and respected judges in America, and they're quoting President Bush. But go back to archive.org and take a look at what MSNBC was quoting President Bush as saying two weeks ago. When defending Harriet Myers, he said that he could not find an accomplished and respected judge that could compete with Harriet Myers' nomination. And now yesterday he's calling uh, Judge Alito one of the most accomplished and respected judges in America. I don't disagree with him. I don't know. I can't wait to hear what uh, Judge Alito has as far as answers to the senators uh, when he goes up for confirmation. But why are we allowing the media and the politicians to make conclusionary statements with no facts? Listen to what Harry Reid said from Nevada. This is what he said about Judge Alito. The Senate needs to find out if the man replacing Myers is too radical for the Ameri American people. Does he really mean that? Is that why this judge has already been serving as a judge? He's already passed the muster of the politicians once, but now that everybody's paying attention, we better make sure he's not too radical. By the way, is that in the Constitution, that you can't have radical Supreme Court judges? Uh, it's worth thinking about. So I don't have a view one way or the other on whether Judge Alito should be confirmed. I anxiously await the information that comes out in those hearings. But you see, that's how a capitalist acts. A capitalist wants to have the facts first before they rush to judgment. The American people are notorious for following the lead of political rhetoric. And then only afterwards do we ask ourselves the hard questions. Now, I'm going to switch topics here for a second. And uh, this morning there was some conversation about President Bush and Vice President Cheney and the neoconservatives rushed to war in Iraq. But let's use this as an example about the American people jumping on a bandwagon. Now, I happen to be one who, after studying the facts, felt like it was justified to go to war in Iraq. Now, I had some serious constitutional questions about how we did that. I still think that's open for debate. And it's an American tradition that we can debate with each other without being disrespectful. But do you remember that prior to going to war, for about a year and a half, there was a lot of debate in the media and in the mainstream press. No one was in doubt about whether President Bush wanted to go to war. There was no debate about that. Matter of fact, there was no debate at the United Nations whether or not Iraq was seriously dangerous to the world community. On a very rare occasion, the entire Security Council voted unanimously about one year before the war 
that there should be serious consequences for Iraq's repeated violations of international law. President Bush didn't make that up. Vice President Cheney didn't make that up. The neoconservatives didn't make that up. Remember, it was President Bill Clinton who first advocated as official American public policy regime change. This was not President Bush's invention. Now, there was about a 50-50 split early on whether or not America was justified in enforcing the United Nations resolutions. That's in America. And President Bush then made a strategic or tactical decision. He added to his rhetoric, besides the concern that Saddam Hussein was oppressing his own people, besides his track record, and besides him flouting repeated violations of the United Nations resolutions, President Bush strategically changed his rhetoric and emphasized weapons of mass destruction. This wasn't his only argument. This wasn't even his first argument. But this argument seemed to be the argument that compelled the rhetorical shift in America. And we started to talk about how dangerous it would be if Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. Now, hindsight, what happened? Well, 90% of the American people jumped on the bandwagon and said, let's go to war. The risk is too great. And then when we got there and we didn't find big shelters written in English that said, find nuclear weapons here, when we didn't find big weapon stockpiles, a number of people jumped off the bandwagon. Now, little reported are the stories of the weapons of mass destruction that have been found. Free Capitals Magazine did an article earlier this year about 14 independent, verifiable finds of weapons of mass destruction. But they don't get mainstream press. Now there were only two weapons here and five weapons there, two warheads here and a chemical that was suspect here. But the bottom line is, there is evidence to indicate that Saddam Hussein was dangerous. Now, I won't debate with you. We've yet to find a huge warehouse full of thousands and thousands of weapons, and a lot of the weapons that have been found that were dangerous were from the Iran War uh, in that era. But let me ask you, did President Bush promise us that the only reason we should go to war was because we would find weapons of mass destruction? No. Though his rhetoric shifted in the end, and he emphasized that point over and over again, there were more facts. For 10 to 12 years, the American people were trying to enforce a ceasefire. Saddam Hussein consistently violated the principles of the ceasefire. Now, what do you do? Do you act based on principles, or do you take the public opinion poll? Now, there's a lot more to this debate. I only bring up that point to talk about how, as Americans, we sometimes get swept up in the political rhetoric. And we change our opinions so much so that if any of us were in elective office or as visibly uh, affected by public scrutiny as President Bush, we wouldn't stand up any better than any Republican or Democrat. We change our minds so much so that I can't discern from the public opinion polls what most Americans ever want. Oh, there's a principle here. There is no such thing as public opinion. Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But public opinion can't exist, because there's no person named the public. The public refers to a collection of individuals, and each individual in the public sphere has self-interest. Does that make sense? 
We all have our own motivations and reasons for doing the things we do, for supporting the things we support. That is a principle of capitalism. And if you want to have great power, my friends, you've got to begin understanding that you are responsible for your own decisions. It's your fault that President Bush is the President of the United States. If you like President Bush, good for you. If you don't like President Bush and you voted against him, good for you. But as Americans, more Americans voted for President Bush than any other candidate. Oh, I know that just opened the door for debate about the 2000 election, and we can do that some days if you'd like. But, now, let's go back and talk about the Founding Fathers. You see, we've talked about current events. Well, what could that possibly have to do with the Founding Fathers? Remember my questions for you earlier today about those pundits who preach and teach? Do they offer solutions? Can you find true principles in their message? Well, here's a test for you. Do those you listen to preach victimhood or empowerment? When you listen to them, do you feel like you are losing hope or gaining hope? You see, those who do not base their rhetoric on true principles can only preach victimhood. They exploit how bad you feel when something unfortunate happens. And then they teach you to respond by saying, there ought to be a law. Right? Think about uh, the windfall profits of the oil companies lately. Right? Even Doug Wright on talk radio got into that this week. I couldn't believe it. Here's what Mr. Wright had to say. He said, now I'm all for capitalism and the free market, but... You know, whenever a public speaker says the word but, it means ignore everything I just said to placate those who will disagree with me. And then Mr. Wright goes on to say, Something's got to be done about these rising prices. Almost like saying there ought to be a law. And wouldn't you know it, Trent Lott, the Republican in the Senate, is now advocating that Congress investigate these windfall profits of the oil companies. Now, before you make an opinion on the matter, have you researched the facts? Do you really know how much profits they're making? Or do you just feel like it must be a lot because you're so broke and they're so rich? Well, being an entrepreneur, I can tell you there's another side to that story. Now, before we get into that side, I want to go back to Mr. Wright. I, I occasionally listen to Mr. Wright on the radio and find that he's a pragmatic gentleman, but I think he's dead wrong on this issue. And that's because I don't think he's thinking about the principles, the principles involved of capitalism. Here was his rhetoric. He said, look, when our gas prices get so high that people are going to have to eat dog food, because they can't afford groceries. <clears throat> he said, when college students aren't going to be able to take a second job delivering pizza for Domino's Pizza because they can't afford the gas, something's got to be done. Well, let's just think about that for a minute. How many of you had jobs when you were in college? I'm sure some of our listeners today even delivered pizza. Now, what would happen if none of the pizza delivery people could afford gas to deliver their pizza. Okay, just think about that. As we go into this break, what would happen if the pizza delivery people couldn't actually afford the gas? Who would it harm? And we'll talk about that when we come back. This is Free Capitalist Radio, live from Salt Lake City. This is Rick Kerber. I am the Free Capitalist. Thank you for listening. Now, before we went to break, we were asking a question. Uh, Mr. Doug Wright says that we've got to do something because of these windfall profits of the oil companies. 
if gas prices get so high that college students can't pay for gas to take their second job as a pizza delivery person, something's got to be done. Now, I know that's just an example, but I'm going to show you how that rhetoric distorts true principles. First of all, who would it hurt if a college student couldn't afford gas to drive for pizza delivery? Who would it hurt the worst? Are we all going to starve because we can't get Domino's pizza or any other pizza to our home? Is that college student completely devoid of any other job opportunities out there, even jobs that don't require him to drive? You see, though I might be inconvenienced, and you might too, because we couldn't get our pizza delivered, and though that college student might have to look to some other place for employment, it would be the business, Domino's Pizza, who would bear the brunt of the problem, because their entire business, in this example, depends upon their pizzas getting delivered. So whose self-interest would be most likely to step up to the plate and innovate or brainstorm? Wouldn't it be the pizza place themselves, Domino's Pizza, wouldn't they, as business owners, have a self-interest to come up with a solution to the problem like perhaps pay that pizza delivery more money, pay that college student who's got that second job a higher wage? You see, the same people who say there ought to be a law to restrict prices also say there ought to be a law that forces businesses to pay higher and higher wages. And though the sentiment is understandable, though when we feel like victims, it seems like business must be against us, we're going to be broke as long as we keep believing that rhetoric. Because true self-interest says you get what you incentivize. And if you make it easier for the Congress to change the pay rate than businesses to change the pay rate, then it actually gives businesses a free hand in many other areas. But if you keep the responsibility on the business owner to act in their best self-interest, you'll find that that college student would not lose the job because Domino's Pizza values staying in business. Matter of fact, if you would feel inconvenienced, I bet you'd even pay an extra buck or two in tip to that pizza delivery person. See, when you think about the true facts, that rhetoric doesn't seem as powerful. Now, should something be done? Yes. What should be done? Well, before we talk specifically, could I invite you to read a book? Again, on Free Capitalist Radio, we've invited you to turn on your brain. And this week, we're giving away to our listeners here in Salt Lake, in Utah County, in North Salt Lake, Weber and Davis County, we're giving away Milton Friedman's Capitalism and Freedom to anybody who calls 801-375-4474. No strings attached. I, the Free Capitalist, am willing to give you this book. It's a great book. It's been published for over 40 years. It teaches the relationship between prosperity and freedom and capitalism. Now, if you'll call 801-375-4474, I'll make sure you get a copy of that book free of charge. And then on Friday of this week, we'll open up the phone lines and we'll invite you to call with your questions about what you've read, your disagreements, your insecurities, the challenges you feel, the, the things you're reading uh, confront to your political and social thinking, Friday we're going to talk about that, and we'll do that every week with a new book. This is the Free Capitalist Radio. Now, do you remember the test that we were talking about? Do those you listen to preach victimhood? Do the people who listen to them need to be victims? Isn't that how so many politicians these days try to inspire confidence in them? They talk about how bad you have it, 
and if you'll just support them, they'll make sure you get yours. That's a very dangerous thing. But sometimes you can't understand it because you get so angry and you get so upset, you just feel like a victim, and you take on the victim status yourself, and then you surround yourself with people who tell victim stories like yours. Now, it might not be political, right? It's not your fault. You were late to work. Now you've been disciplined at work. Your ugly boss doesn't understand that rush hour traffic is hard. Oh, by the way, can you believe what happened to me on my way to work today? This guy pulled over and did this, and I gave him this sign, right? Those are all victim stories. How about this one? When Enron went broke, I was watching the television, and there was a nice cosmopolitan couple on the television talking about how they were so upset because they had lost their retirement security. Now think about that for a minute. In their minds, retirement security was get a job with a good retirement plan with a really big company. Well, it didn't work. And so here this uh, poor woman was crying on national television, and I'm sure it increased the viewership of that television news broadcast, about how she had lost her job security. But let me ask you, was it really job security if she could lose it? You see, a capitalist understands that security is within themselves. That increasing my ability, my knowledge, my talents, my influence is the best way to increase my security. You see, those you listen to should preach empowerment because true principles empower. Five years ago, I was broke, literally bankrupt. I filed for federal bankruptcy protection. I was so distraught, I felt like such a victim. I told a victim's story. I told how it wasn't my fault, how my business was a good business, and how if this person hadn't done this or that person hadn't done that, or if the government hadn't done this or that, I'd still be in business. But the truth of the matter was, the problem was not capitalism or the world in which I live. The problem was me, my mind. I thought that it was me who was good and everybody else that was bad. I was ignorant. I didn't understand true financial principles. Now, five years later, let me tell you, because I grew up that you always pay off your bills, no matter what it takes, you keep your word. Some people accuse me, by the way, when I went bankrupt, of lacking integrity. I felt the sting of those complaints, as I'm sure some of our listeners have felt. Less than five years later, I have paid back all of our business investors and our creditors, plus 6% interest, even though I wasn't obliged to do so. Now, I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to demonstrate that when you understand true principles, you are not a victim. You do not have to stay on the same path that you've been on, that you've been trained, taught, and educated to remain on. You do not have to be broke or bankrupt. You do not have to live hand-to-mouth or paycheck-to-paycheck. But the change has to happen first within yourself. You've got to learn true principles. And when you do that, the American dream can become a reality. When Dr. Skousen wrote his book, The 5,000-Year Leap, he talked about the amazing rights given to us in our Constitution, the rights to private property, the right to liberty, the right to act with freedom in your own self-interest. These are the ingredients that make us as Americans powerful. These are the ingredients that make all prosperous people, truly prosperous people, powerful. Do you want to learn more about that? We invite you to listen every day for one hour to Free Capitalist Radio. We're going to talk about principles. We're going to apply those to current events. And we're going to answer your questions. Now, 
If you've got questions or opinions and you'd like to voice them and you'd like to discuss them, you can call from Salt Lake, 254-5855. From Ogden Weaver in North Davis County, you can call 670-5855. And from Provo in Utah County, you can call 470-5855. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your questions. I'm sure you have them. And I'm not afraid of any debate. Debate, by the way, is often how we search for truth. We don't all just wake up in the morning and know it by heart or somehow have learned it through osmosis. And usually, I find, that economically, we're more ignorant than we even know. I told a good friend of mine once, there's only one thing I hate worse than being broke. That's being deceived. You see, when you're deceived, you don't know what you don't know. So you blame everybody for the problems that you're experiencing, and you say things like, I don't know why Senator Hatch does this. I don't understand why Governor Huntsman says this and doesn't do that. The bottom line is, if you don't understand, you need to get educated. Learn the rules of the game. It is possible to win. It's possible to prosper. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over this country tuning in to the message of the free capitalists. We invite you to tune in and to stay tuned for more from Free Capitalist Radio. All right, welcome back to Free Capitalist Radio. This is Rick Kerber. I am the Free Capitalist, and I'm glad you're listening today. We're happy to be broadcasting live now each weekday on 630 K-Talk Radio. This is exciting for us. We want to share with you the principles of capitalism. And I'll wager with you that most of you couldn't define capitalism if you sat down with a pencil and paper to save your life. Now, I don't mean to insult you. I just mean to reflect upon the nature of things. Economically speaking, we have delegated our future to so many other people. I want to share with you a quote from President Calvin Coolidge in 1925. Now, I want you to see if this quote doesn't strike you as a little bit odd. Again, this is from President Calvin Coolidge, 1925. He says, After all, the chief business of the American people is business. They are profoundly concerned with producing, buying, selling, investing, and overall prospering in the world. I am strongly of the opinion that the great majority of people will always find these are the moving impulses of our lives. I read that and I thought to myself, how many people do I know define themselves by being concerned with prosperity? I don't mean get rich quick. I don't mean the next greatest business idea that changes from day to day. I mean, is it really your business to become prosperous? Prior to the Great Depression, that was very common talk. But after that great economic turmoil, the political rhetoric in our country changed. And for the last 50 to 70 years, we've been doing an experiment. And in my opinion, that experiment has deadly consequences. Instead of being self-reliant and economically independent, we want retirement security. You see, retirement security is code word for work real hard and the government will make it okay when you turn 65. Now, is that self-reliance? Do you have to know and understand true principles to adhere to that lifestyle? I grew up what I would consider pretty broke. I grew up in a single-parent family. My mother never made more than $10,000 a year in her life before I moved out of the home. 
I know a little bit about what it's like not to have money. But you know what's interesting? Because I grew up with the most incorrect financial education that I can imagine. The reason my family was broke wasn't because they were bad people. They were great people. But they had been trained, taught, and educated that if you work really hard and let other people, like your boss and the government, make the important economic decisions, the key is just elect the right people and it'll be okay. It won't be okay. Electing the right people, we must become educated ourselves. We've got to study. I invite you to call in at 801-375-4474 and I will give you a copy for free of Milton Friedman's Capitalism and Freedom because I have learned that it's the true principles of capitalism that can make us free and prosperous. At the Free Capitalist Radio, we don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or a member of the Constitutional Party or Progressive Party. We care whether you're willing to learn true principles to debate them, to discover them, and to live by them. Because if we do that, the greatness that is in America can get even stronger. I am not an illusionist. I know we have some serious problems. But what are we going to do about them? Are we going to wait for other people to solve them? Are we going to listen to the radio and drive time and hope somebody finally does something? Or are we going to learn true principles and change our life? Just recently, we had a new addition to our family. <coughs> When my mother came to visit her new granddaughter, she started to talk to me about finance, of all things. You see, five years ago, I was broke, and she was concerned. And she started asking me what we were spending money on here and there, as only a mother could do. And being a son, I said, you know, mother, I've got it in hand. It's okay. And she prodded and probed and probed some more. And finally, I showed my mother our savings account balance, and she about passed out. Now, I don't mean to brag, but there was more money in our savings account than my mother has ever had in her life. She said, how are you doing this? Five years ago, you were broke. There were so many people who were against you. There were people who said that you were a bad businessman. I said, Mom, I decided I wasn't going to be a victim.